Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Are you a woman in your 40s or 50s who finds herself crying one minute and angry the next, who has the trouble finding an adequate solution to hot flashes or insomnia, who has experienced uncontrollable weight gain for seemingly no reason, or has struggled against an increased deep-seated fatigue? Today's guest, Dana Lavoie, is here today to talk about natural solutions to menopause and perimenopause, about the techniques Asian women have always known to balance hormones. Dana Lavoie is an acupuncturist, herbalist, and online women's health educator with over 13 years clinical experience. She's the creator of Menopause Basics, a system to help women balance their hormones with diet, lifestyle, and herbs. And she's made it her mission to share this roadmap to hormonal balance with as many women as possible. Welcome to Health Watch, Dana Lavoie. Thank you so much, Dr. Naiman. I am thrilled to be here. Well, when we were talking, when we were setting up the interview and we were talking, you had said that the, the people who get the most amazing results when they start taking herbs for menopause or perimenopause are those who already have a good diet and lifestyle in place. So maybe we should start with diet and what are some of the things in your mind that are foundational or that should be emphasized in terms of addressing uh, the a transition to uh, uh, a hormonal shift. Absolutely. There are a few basic things with diet that I think are incredibly helpful to helping the body to keep hormones in balance, even while they're changing like crazy during menopause. And one is making sure that you include in your diet foods that give your body the building blocks to make more hormones when it needs to and foods that help the body detox and get rid of extra hormones when it needs to, because that way the body can make more hormones or get rid of some hormones to keep those ups and downs more balanced. And um, so foods that would be building blocks for hormones would be like healthy fats is a big one. You know, some people think, oh, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to eat really low fat. And that I don't see that working very well <laughs> during menopause because hormones are made out of fat. Um, so a couple of tablespoons of healthy fats at every meal, whether it's, you know, olive oil, coconut oil, grass-fed butter, nuts, seeds, avocado, things like that, definitely want to include those in your diet. Um, I find that protein is important, and you probably need, women need a little bit more protein as they reach this age than they did before. And I find that having the protein throughout the day at regular intervals is really helpful with uh, balancing blood sugar and energy. So three to five times a day, having a little protein. Um, and a really big one, too, is getting enough fruits and vegetables in your diet because in Chinese medicine, fruits and vegetables are cooling and they are moistening. So they're wonderful during menopause, which tends to be hot and dry. And the fruits and vegetables are also going to give you fiber. And fiber is essential for keeping the detoxification pathways open, the ways that your body gets rid of extra estrogen and extra hormones, like through your bowel movements really is one way. And so having enough fiber to have really healthy bowel movements is important. And the fruits and vegetables have really important micronutrients that your body needs to make hormones. So they're good for detox, they're good for building hormones, and they're cooling and moistening. So, you know, 
probably eight to 15 servings a day of fruits and vegetables combined um, is important. And some women just aren't getting that much. Well, well let me uh, jump in there because, yeah, I, sure. you know, with any any guests that I have on about nutrition, I always, I always find the idea of a serving somewhat confusing, um, especially when we're only eating three meals a day and, and you're mm-hmm. saying eat eight to 15 servings of fruits or vegetables, which I think to, to a casual listener might be, might seem really daunting. So what does that yeah. look like actually when you're, when you're doing it? I find that, well, first of all, a serving depends on the size of the person. Um, you know, it could be the size, like an amount that you could hold in your cupped hand easily. So that's going to vary. You know, a real small person has a smaller hand than a big person. Um, And I also find that with fruits and vegetables, sometimes you just don't include them at breakfast or you don't include them at lunch. Like I try to say to get more in your diet, include them at every meal. Like if you're having scrambled eggs, have some fermented vegetables or slices of fruit or a little bit of salad or, you know, a bunch of vegetables in your omelet. You know, every time you're eating, you think, okay, are there fruits and vegetables included in what's in my snack or what's on my plate? So just including them every time you eat. Um, And sometimes even having something like a green smoothie is a great way to get an extra like four servings, you know, you can pack some spinach or lettuce in there. Um, And I also say that when you're looking at what you're eating, whether it's, um, you know, a snack or a meal, if you look at your plate and 50% of it is fruits and vegetables, you know, if 50% of everything you eat is fruits and vegetables, I think you can consider that enough, no matter what size those servings end up to be, you know, if it's a big enough percentage of your total diet. So are there some menopause-specific foods, some foods, either vegetables or fruit or grains or beans or or meats that are uh, particularly beneficial? Absolutely. There are some foods that I consider either superfoods that are especially great during menopause or what I call like the menopause helper foods. And some of those, uh, one would be seeds. In Chinese medicine, seeds are very anti-aging and like flax seeds especially have something called lignans in them which are very helpful for or can be very helpful for hormonal balance during menopause so like a couple of tablespoons of ground flax seeds per day but also sesame seeds sunflower seeds pumpkin seeds hemp seeds all seeds are good in general there are foods that have natural phytoestrogens in them which are helpful things like like yams and uh, also fermented soy products, organic fermented soy products like natto and miso and tempeh can be helpful. Um, And there are tryptophan-rich foods tend to be helpful during menopause. Uh, There are a bunch of them, turkey, banana, raw dairy, brown rice, oats, wild-caught fish, eggs, black beans are helpful. And then there are the cooling foods, like all fruits and vegetables tend to be cooling, not hot peppers, but in general. But things like pears and cucumbers are, and watermelon are especially cooling. So they can be nice if you're getting a lot of hot flashes. Um, and then I also really like black beans. 
And another category would be iodine-rich foods. And one of my favorite ways is just to use kelp. Like you can mix kelp 50-50 with your salt and your little salt shaker and, you know, or just sprinkle some kelp on your food. Um, but if you're not eating seaweed on a regular basis, even consider supplementing with iodine because that can be really helpful for breast and ovarian health. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to Dana Lavoie, acupuncturist, herbalist, and online women's health educator about natural approaches to menopause and perimenopause. So with regards to lifestyle, you you mentioned um, the importance of regulating our stress hormones, particularly cortisol. So can you tell us why that's important to regulate with regards to um, our estrogen and progesterone levels and then what you would recommend to do uh, in order to regulate stress? Absolutely. I find stress, you know, even if you're doing all the right things, eating the right foods and everything, if your cortisol and your stress hormones are too high, it can be very hard to feel good during menopause especially. And I think of hormones like a whole big lot of dominoes. (laughs) They are very interconnected. When one hormone goes up or down, it triggers a signal that makes another hormone go up or down, and then that one triggers a signal. So every time a hormone does something in your body, it triggers so many other hormones in your body to change as well. Um, And so cortisol is In that chain of dominoes, it is pretty directly related to estrogen and progesterone. And so if your cortisol is out of balance and it's very high, I find that it can be almost impossible for the estrogen and progesterone to come into a healthy balance naturally because that cortisol just keeps like kicking up, kicking up, kicking up (laughs) and sending them out of balance. And when your cortisol is high, and your stress hormones in general are high, your body goes into what I think of, you know, like the fight or flight state of being. And when you're in fight or flight, there's a few things that happen that are also difficult for menopause. One is it's hard for the estrogen and progesterone to balance, but also it's the opposite of rest and digest. Your body's like, oh, we're in an emergency. Who knows when we're going to be able to eat again? We should conserve all the fat we have on hand. And it can actually, you know, bring your metabolism down. It can cause weight gain. Um, So directly affecting estrogen and progesterone and messing with your metabolism and making it harder to sleep um, would be three big ones, which are all can be problematic anyway during menopause. Um, And if you're stressed, it's also harder not to get, I find, irritable or angry easily, which can also be difficult during menopause. Well, you mentioned some particular um, interventions for what you call active relaxation, and some of them include meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong that people probably aren't surprised about as possible things to do. But you also mentioned acupuncture, and I would imagine people who have never had acupuncture when they think of needles are probably not thinking of it as a form of relaxation. So could you talk us a little bit about um, the role of acupuncture, both for managing stress, but then also potentially for uh, specific symptoms like hot flashes? Absolutely. Um, I wish that I could take, you know, a videotape of people during acupuncture treatments and string them all together. And so someone could watch that before they ever had acupuncture and they would just see one person after another 
sleeping <laughs> and looking like the most relaxed that they've ever seen them look. Because typically that's what happens during an acupuncture treatment is people either fall asleep or they go into a very deeply relaxed state I call just drifting. And they'll say, oh, that felt like five minutes and, you know, 40 minutes went by. Um, and their cheeks get pink and they just feel wonderful. And so it's definitely not what you would think would happen when you put needles in. It's very surprising to people. And it, it I call it meditation without the work. I call it acupuncture meditation without the work because it well, when it's you're having a good treatment, it puts your body in a deeply relaxed state, which is what meditation can do. And by being in that deeply relaxed state, when you're in that deeply relaxed state, every minute you're in that deeply relaxed state, your body can do all kinds of things on a cellular level that it can't do any other time. It can do certain cellular repairs. It can do things like balance hormones, um, and it kind of takes you out of that whole fight-or-flight stress hormone place. It releases all the relaxation chemicals, and that has a big effect on your overall body balance. So just the relaxation of acupuncture is very helpful during menopause. But there are also, uh, there's uh, Chinese medicine has a very specific view of menopause. Chinese medicine often brings things down to the difference between yin and yang. Yin is like your water that makes up your body, and yang is like the fire that's in your body. And in menopause, what usually happens is the amount of water in your body decreases quite a bit. So now you just don't have enough water, and you've got all this fire still, and that's why you feel hot and dry and angry and, you know, can't sleep. And so in, in acupuncture, there are specific points that when you needle them are for rebuilding the water energy. Um, and so that is going to help with all the symptoms caused by the low water. And there are also points that clear away heat. So if you're just feeling really hot, there are points that can clear heat. There are points that can help with sleep and that can help with kind of relaxing and irritated mood or evening out mood swings. So there are definitely some specific points. And I find that people can even learn to do acupressure on themselves at home during menopause, and that can be helpful as well. You also talk about um, avoiding hormone-disrupting chemicals in our home products. Um, what are some of those, or what are the ones that are most common and the most uh, detrimental to health that someone going through perimenopause or menopause should particularly get out of the home uh, in terms of their personal care? Yeah, I like to look at the ones that are particularly known to be hormone disruptors. And some of the big ones would be um, triclosan, and I like to mention that one because it's actually very, very commonly used. It is an antibacterial. It's often what they use not only as a preservative in makeup or skincare, but it's often the active ingredient in like an antibacterial hand soap or any type of antibacterial product like a hand sanitizer or, you know, a kitchen cleaner or anything that says antibacterial, you want to check and see if they're using triclosan. And they, you'll even find it in toothpaste. So that is really a big one. And another one that is not as common these days, but I still see it all the time and I'm shocked, is parabens. 
that used to be like the most common preservative in makeup and skincare and body care and shampoo. And it got such a bad rap for being incredibly bad for the hormones and, you know, possibly promoting cancer and things like that, that they took it out of a lot of products. But wow, when you look, you actually see that it's still being used quite a bit. And uh, there are some other ones. There's one other one that I wanted to mention that you won't see quite as much in the personal care side of things, um, but you will see a lot in your diet, which would be BPA. Like sometimes I'll have a woman who just can't seem to get her menopause symptoms under control, but she's eating canned food every day in a can that is not BPA-free or something, or microwaving in plastic a lot of the time, that can make a really noticeable difference. Um, And I'd say the other really big one that is so common is phthalates. That's spelled with a P. It's kind of a strange word. And the reason that this is such a tough one is that it's very, very common in artificial fragrances. And those are included in almost all makeup and skincare products and hair care and things like that. And they can just put fragrance on the label and they're not required to put anything else about what's in the fragrance. Um, But unless it's an all-natural fragrance, right, from essential oils or something, if it just says fragrance, it's probably an artificial fragrance, and there is a very good chance that it has phthalates in it. Uh, Even perfume companies are not required to list ingredients. They've done studies where they had independent companies analyze perfume ingredients, and the phthalates are very common in any type of artificial fragrance. Well, let's let's assume our listeners are on their way towards uh, putting in place a good diet. They're doing some form of active relaxation and, and they're doing aerobic exercise. So perhaps it's the time to talk about herbs because their their symptoms aren't all under control. Um, you call yourself a tonic herbalist. So I was curious if mm-hmm. you could tell us what that means and also what role you see herbs playing in menopause management and if there are certain candidates you see for herbs versus is um, going the conventional route with hormone replacement therapy, or if you think everyone's a, a good candidate for herbs? Well, I would say, I mean, I could I could just start right off the bat by saying there are maybe some people who aren't the best candidates for herbs, and the biggest category of people there would probably be people who are also taking a blood thinner medication, because that is the biggest, um, most problematic interaction that you're going to need to look for with herbs. So something like Coumadin or Warfarin or Eliquis, you really need to be careful with herbs with those. Um, And also, you know, with people who have very serious other health conditions, um, drugs for epilepsy, certain other medications that tend to interact with herbs somewhat. But other than those particular, you know, danger signs, I find that most people benefit from herbs. And the difference between tonic herbalism and sort of the more typical herbalism, which I'll call medicinal herbalism, is the medicinal herbalism is to fix a particular problem. So like I was saying in menopause, often the amount of water and water energy in a woman's body is going down, is declining. There's not enough to keep her cool and moist. So you can take herbs that will strengthen your water energy, fill that water energy bucket back up in your body, and that will help you to feel cooler and moister. Now, if you take those too many of those herbs for too long, you can get kind of cold and damp, you know, so it's, it's 
moving you in a particular direction and you just want to use it when you need it kind of thing. Um, and the thing, and, and those herbs are very helpful during menopause. Like often you do want something to strengthen your water energy. But where the tonic herbs come in is that is specializing in herbs that are called adaptogens. And what adaptogens do, or what makes them special, is that they have a double direction action. So they're not going to just move you in one direction. Um, like, for instance, I could give an adaptogenic herb to someone who had you know, too much, uh, like a too high of a blood sugar, or and it would help bring their blood sugar down, or it would help the body to bring the blood sugar down. And if I gave the same exact herb to someone whose blood sugar was too low, it would help the body to bring the blood sugar up. So it doesn't push the body in a specific direction. It actually strengthens and fine-tunes the body's own regulatory mechanism. So it helps the body keep things in balance and adapt to changes and adapt to stress, whether it needs to go up or down or turn on or off. The adaptogens help the body do that properly. And I feel like menopause, the body trying to keep your hormones, like your estrogen and progesterone, in balance with each other while they are changing during menopause. It's like your body's been keeping you know, estrogen and progesterone in balance your whole life. But now during menopause or perimenopause, your body's trying to do that same thing. But it's like you just moved up six difficulty levels in a video game. You know, it's like you're still trying to stay alive, but now in a much more challenging situation. So sometimes the body's ability to balance that estrogen and progesterone ratio, it's like, okay, I was doing okay until now, and it's just too hard now. I can't keep on top of it. And the adaptogens can come in and help the body's, excuse me, mechanism that keeps that balance in place. It actually strengthens that regulatory mechanism. So that's why I love the tonic herbs so much during menopause. And, and what are some some names of some tonic herbs that you commonly will use? There are some tonic herbs that are specifically have a secondary benefit of strengthening the water energy. So those can be really extra good during menopause, like something like hushawu. Um, and there are herbs like even like goji berries and shizandra berries, which are really excellent all-around adaptogens that are wonderful during menopause. Um, and then there are herbs like dendrobium and romania, which are also especially great for strengthening the water energy, um, and herbs like astragalus that are great for being an adaptogen for your energy, your chi, um, and even some protective herbs that are wonderful for helping to regulate, helping the body regulate the immune system. Again, like astragalus or cordyceps or duanwood reishi, something like that. And, and what are your, and briefly, what are your thoughts on hormone replacement therapy? Do you see a, a role for them in menopause management in some patients? I do, absolutely. I, I, de I definitely don't feel like it's a clear, oh, yes or no, you should use them or not use them. I feel like it really varies from woman to woman. The evidence of the research that's coming out seems to show that it is beneficial and protective for your body to have some hormones, you know, and some estrogen in it at certain levels 
up until a certain age, especially. So if your estrogen levels are going down to nothing while you're still in your late 40s, you know, there are a lot of studies that are saying some hormone replacement for five or 10 years can possibly be beneficial and be protective in some ways. Um, now, ideally, I find that if women are really healthy and taking adaptogenic and tonic herbs going into menopause, you know, like I spoke to one of my herbal mentors a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she was she's 56 years old. You know, she's still having a regular period. She started having a few hot flashes, but they're totally under control with herbs. So it's like her whole aging process de- is delayed more than some other women. And my guess is that the levels of hormones in her body are naturally still high, you know, and the hormone-like substances that she needs for protection are still pretty high. So I think that you can probably go through menopause and beyond not using hormones if you're in a great place and you're healthy and maybe you're using herbs because you still are naturally producing enough of those hormone-like substances that your body kind of needs. But for some women, it's like they are have body has such a hard time making those or keeping those levels high enough, or they seem to reach that point of aging where the production of those is completely stopping, and it happens for them quite young. Uh, or they had a surgical menopause, very sudden, very hard on the body. You know, there's definitely times when for some women, what I recommend is do the diet, you know, do the lifestyle, do the herbs, see where you're at. If you feel fantastic, then that might be enough. But if you still need a little extra something, then sometimes adding in just the right amount, especially of the bioidentical hormones, can be wonderful. And if you're doing the diet and the lifestyle and you've got your body's mechanism that keeps the hormone in balance working really well, it could be that the body's trying, but there's just not enough of one building block. And the hormone replacement can act like that building block. And your body takes it and uses it. It knows exactly what to do with it and how to use it to keep things in balance. But I find that if you do hormones alone and that regulatory mechanism in your body isn't working particularly well, you're not detoxing well, you know, you don't have the other micronutrients and cofactors, the hormones, it's sort of like, you know, it's it's like if you've got a hole in a wall, you could plug it with your finger, but this is sort of just like chucking a rock at the hole and hoping it lands on it. You know, the, the hormones alone aren't necessarily going to work that great. But if you do the other stuff to get your body regulating the hormones really well, and then you just need a little bit of hormones to give it what it needs for one particular building block, that combination can work well. And because you're also detoxing well, because you're eating right, drinking enough water and, and all that, even if you get a little too much of a hormone in there, your body's going to get rid of it, you know. So I feel like that it's a really nice combination if you're going to do hormones to combine it with some of this other diet and lifestyle stuff. Well, Dana, unfortunately, we're almost out of time and we didn't get a chance to really talk about some of your favorite supplements, for instance. But fortunately, yeah. you have you have a website that is full of a lot of resources for people. So Perhaps you can mention your website if people want to learn more about the different um, aspects of going through menopause and the and the uh, various things you recommend. Absolutely, I have a website. It's my name D A N A L A V as in Victory O I E 
lac.com. So Dana Lavoie, LAC, which is for licensed acupuncturist, Dana Lavoie, lac.com. And yeah, I have like a free download that is the first step in diet, the first in lifestyle, and the first in supplements for balancing hormones. And I do have a blog post. You do have a blog. For menopause, yes. I've got lots of blog articles on all kinds of stuff that we've been talking about today. Well, maybe you could just spell the website one more time for us before we go. Absolutely. It's D-A-N as in Nancy A, L-A-V as in victory, O-I-E-L-A-C dot com. Well, it's great having you on Health Watch today, Dana. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. We're talking today to Dana Lavoie, acupuncturist, herbalist, and online women's health educator about natural approaches to menopause and perimenopause. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Thanks to Patsy, my engineer. And next up is Madness Radio.